thought for a minute Judah wanted to preach this morning. If you don't know me, I'm Mark Barnes. Uh, I am part of the preaching team. And um, I am really glad that we are doing expository preaching where we just preach what's in front of us. Uh, because we would often, like Dave said, we would often avoid something like this today. And yet, we're, gonna, we're going to jump into it. So let, let, me, uh, let me just pray, and then we'll begin. Father God, I ask that you would, by your Spirit, help us to hear these words of Jesus. Jesus, you spoke these words for our good, for your glory for your purpose. So give us ears to hear this morning. Give us hearts to receive this morning. Give us mercy and grace for each other this morning as we venture into your word together. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Icy winds lashed at the upper reaches of Everest. Gaining, gain, uh, gaining in ferocity just as a relatively inexperienced climbing party made its final push to the summit. It was the 10th of May, 1996, and by the end of the day, four of six adventurers would lay entombed at the top of the world. It was one of the most tragic chapters in the annals of Himalayan mountaineering and naturally elicited a rash of inquiries. Did the final ascent come too late in the day? Was the grim forecast dismissed too casually? Did the rarefied air blunt human judgment? Each of these concerns was undoubtedly a factor. Yet, in the minds of veteran climbers, there was a more sinister impairment. The, the expedition lacked unity. Disrupted by selfish ambition and rugged individualism, the party splintered into isolated units and negotiated the last gale-battered pitch without the encouragement and mutual support. Disunity can undermine any human enterprise, but no relationship is more vulnerable to its destructive power than marriage. Between husband, husbands and wives, even the faintest hint of disunity can mushroom into a raging storm. Trivial disagreements, testy traits, minor misunderstandings, Irritants that pose little threat to casual friendships can within marriage become icy gales, penetrating every corner of the many, of the many couples um, of the relationship. Helpless to stem the maligned winds, many couples tolerate disunity as an unavoidable course on their relationship and resign themselves to calloused indifference. True. True. 
Are we talking about divorce this morning? Yep. Are we talking about more than divorce this morning? Yes. Like I said, I'm glad that Jesus is willing to tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. This week I was, I I got a free trial for XM Radio, and so I'm trying all these strange channels, and I I found one that had a prosperity preacher. Uh, I've never listened to one of his whole sermons. And I listened, and he started using the Word of God, I go, okay. And then I noticed he went here, and I went, hang on. And then here, and the next thing I knew, he was talking about how God wants to bless your finances, bless your health, bless everything. And I thought, And I thought, here's the difference. This pastor, and people were, oh, they were ecstatic about what he was saying. Because he was telling them what they wanted to hear. Jesus wants to tell us what we need to hear. Let me tell you what is so difficult about preaching this sermon today. A, it's about divorce. And what I've found is, and what I know is, divorce is such a deep, emotional subject with such heavy baggage and often creates such deep wounds. Just as I've shared with people what I'm talking on, it has stirred, I've seen stirred emotion in people. It has brought up things from the past. And so this morning, I know that there will be many in here that will hear these words and they will bring emotion. They will be difficult. They will bring up emotion that maybe you thought was buried and long gone, and yet, even this morning, the subject, somebody told me, it stirs in them. I'm willing to guess that in this room, every one of us have been impacted by divorce in some way. Through people we know, through our lives, through our marriages, through our kids, friends, family, probably has impacted every one of us. That makes it hard, but it makes it important. The other thing that makes this so hard is I've got two verses that I'm preaching on this morning. And I don't have nearly enough time to even begin to unpack this, right? I mean, and and to do so, part of me feels like I'm doing injustice because I've only got a half hour or so to unpack this. I'm not going to do that well. But there's another part of me that says, don't even start to open up certain things because we can't do that well. And that makes it difficult. But I realize that I've been given the task to proclaim God's word this morning. And that's what I'm doing. That We're trying to get to the heart of what Jesus is saying. But here's what I think. Here's what I, I, I encourage you. These things are going to stir in us. And I think we need places of conversation where we can come alongside each other and talk with each other and have conversation around the Word of God. I love how Andrew B. We used to say, can we gather around the Word of God? And not what you think and what I think, but can we just seek and desire what God wants? And so I know that there needs to be more conversation. If you want to talk to me about that, I know we have talked about as a, as a preaching team finding space for these kind of conversations after we have these kind of sermons, and maybe just in general.
Small groups are a great place. D discipleship groups are a great place. Finding that community where you can enter into this in a deeper way is great. And here's the, the, the other thing I, before we start into the text that makes today hard. A few years ago, what I've, I realized is I was listening to a, a godly counselor talk about abusive relationships. And he said, often the church in their zeal and their desire to, to restore relationship, enter into abusive relationships and just try to put the parties together. And he says that often causes more damage and is unbiblical and ungodly. And so I have taken that to note and I would say, if you're in an abusive relationship, these words on divorce are not for you. I'm not talking about that today. But if you are and you need somebody to talk to, would you talk to me or, or any of the guys on the preaching team or our elders? Because I think the first thing the church needs to do is find safety for, for those that are in abusive relationships and help to get them out into a safe place where then we can proceed with healing. But just forcing people back into relationship is not good and healthy. So I lay those all down as, as kind of the guidelines of where we're headed this morning as we enter into this passage. Let's read this again. It was also said, and, and that phrase just is a little throwaway phrase, but it's not because if you've been with us, you know that Jesus over the last several weeks has been using this phrase. And the phrase is, you have heard it said, right? You have heard it said to the ancients. You have heard it said to those of old. And what does that mean? What it means is, you've heard that this is how it's been interpreted. This is how the law has been interpreted. This is the tradition that you, you have followed. And then Jesus always responds with, you have heard it said. He says what you've heard. And then he goes, but I say to you, think of the gall. Think of the chutzpah, right? Of somebody saying that because what he is declaring, I think, I think Stuart said a few weeks ago, what he is saying is this is how you interpret the law, but I have authority. I have authority to tell you what this really means. I'm the one who knows. I'm the one that was in the, in the writing of this law. I know the heart of God. And so here I am to tell you what this means. Wow. And so he says, it was also said, Whatever di whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, you have heard it said. Where are they getting this from? They're obviously looking back to Old Testament law, and they're taking a law, and they're going, this is what God says, and this is what we think it means. Okay? So where are they getting that from? Well, they're getting that from Deuteronomy 24, where God talks about Divorce. And this is what it says. <clears throat> if a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. 
Now, all of this is going to be male, talking about um, divorcing female, right? Okay, that was the culture, okay? But this topic of divorce is going both ways, okay? But what he's saying is here in Deuteronomy, this is the law. And here now, let's, this, this word indecent, okay? Um, indecent means every kind of improper, shameful, indecent behavior often related to sexual behavior. Okay? That's the law that, that God gave to Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, let's fast forward to the first century as Jesus is sitting here on the side of the mountain preaching this sermon to those that are hearing. And we realize he is preaching to his disciples and there's a crowd. We saw that by the end there's a crowd listening to this and they can't, amaze, they can't believe his authority, the, the way he speaks with authority. And I go, it's because of things like this where he says, but I say it. There probably would have been Pharisees and, sad, and, and uh, scribes in, in the crowd, probably on the fringes, listening to what this guy says. And there were at least three different views by Pharisees on the, on the subject of divorce. Listen to these because while some would say this is an ancient book, it speaks to the heart of people, right? It's the same. We deal with the same stuff. And this is, this is the views that the, the Pharisees had. One would, a small group would say, divorce is only acceptable because of adultery. They would fall along the lines of what Jesus is saying. But most fell into two other camps. Divorce is acceptable because she does something displeasing. Now, you notice that, that here in, in uh, Deuteronomy, it says if a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him. So they would say, okay, let's stop. Yes, if she becomes displeasing to me, I can divorce her. We'll just kind of shove the rest of that off. And displeasing could be anything from you embarrassed me, you burnt the food. It It was a wide open category that says you have done something that I don't like. And because of that, under the law, I am able to give you a certificate of divorce and I can move on. The last group would say that basically divorce was acceptable for any reason. As they would put it, if you find someone fairer. Meaning, you found somebody you liked better. And that was a group of Pharisees. And they would say, no, 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 no. As long as, and they would read the law not as this this separation, but they focused on the certificate, right? Like it's the paper. And so, so as long as I have reason to give you a certificate of divorce, then I am staying wholly under the law. And you are free then because this paper entitles you now you are free from our relationship you are free to go and marry and that was how the 
many of the Pharisees interpreted this law. They didn't look at the relationship. They looked at the paper. And they said, as long as I do that, I'm not committing adultery. If I don't do that, then I'm committing adultery. But as long as I give you this paper, I am free, you are free, we're good. And here Jesus comes along. And he says, no, no. No, except for this, for, for being unfaithful sexually. Anything else, you can do whatever you want. You can give all the papers that you want. But the reality is you are causing your wife to become unfaithful, to become an adulterer. And you, if you marry somebody, are be, have become an adulterer. And, and this was prevalent among the Pharisees at this time, among the Jewish people. We think we have a problem in our society. Divorce is rising and all of this. This isn't new, folks. And so the people listening to Jesus would have went, oh, wait, um, wait a minute. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying what they want to hear. He's saying what they need to hear. A few weeks ago, he made this statement as he entered into this portion of, of his sermon. And he said this, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we hear that as like, oh my goodness, what do I have to do? But if you're a Pharisee or a scribe and you hear that, what did he just say? Simon here, the Pharisee, your righteousness has to be greater than his. And Simon's like, wait, that, that means I'm not in? Right? They would re- so, so start to hear what Jesus is saying and why there might be this tension between Jer- Jesus and the, and the religious leaders. Because he just said, you know this, Mark? They're not in. It's got to be greater than that. Wait a minute. And then he goes on and he talks about things like anger. And he says, you know how you think you can check the box? Like, I haven't murdered anybody. I've heard that before. When people talk about whether they're going to go to heaven. Well, I think I'm pretty good. I haven't murdered anybody. Well, the Pharisees go, we're good. And Jesus goes, checking the box is not what God wants. It's that anger that's in you that's taking root in your heart. It's like murdering somebody. What? Hang on. That lust? I haven't committed adultery. And today he's saying, well, maybe you have. But I haven't committed adultery. And he says, hang on. That lust? If you let that lust take root in your heart, you have committed adultery in your heart. And now today, he's he's talking about what happens in the heart. And now today he's talking about how that manifests in life. What that looks like as that takes root and manifests in their life. And that's divorce. That's one of the ways it manifests. The progression that Jesus makes through this sermon, I thought, this sounds like something familiar. James, his half-brother, right, wrote the book of James, and I thought, listen to what James has to say, because he describes what Jesus is saying is going on here in their hearts of the people that are listening. James, in James 1, he says this, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. 
Since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Isn't that what Jesus is saying to these people? He's telling them what they need to hear. That if you harbor that anger in your heart, that desire, I have the right, I'm angry because I have the right, and you let that sit in your heart and make res- take up residence in your heart, what happens? It conceives and gives birth to sin. And then when that sin is full grown, it brings death. Lust. When you have lust and you... And you guys, w- years ago, uh, I was working with high school kids and, and we did a whole thing on lust, okay? And we did a book. We went through a book called Every Young Man's Battle, right? And, yeah, sorry, I didn't ask if I could tell you this, tell them this, but my wife, um, uh, I had the books for, for the young men, and she said, do you think our sons struggle with, with lust? And I looked at the book, and I said, you see the first word? Every young man's battle? I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We know that there's a battle for most of us. And women, it shows up in different ways in your life. Kathy and I were talking about this yesterday, how, how stories and fantasies of relationship and all of that can go on in your head. And you let that take root in your heart? What happens? It conceives and gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it leads to death. And I think this picture of divorce is that full grown child that is leading to death. Here's the first thing I think we take away from this morning from Jesus preaching when I said Jesus is talking about divorce, but he's talking about more than divorce because really what he's talking about here with these Pharisees, with those listening when he says your righteousness has to be greater than those of the Pharisee, is not checking the box. It is your heart. Are you willing to let God tell you from his word how we are supposed to live, trusting that his way is better than our way. Because what we tend to do is what the Pharisees do. We tend to want to interpret the word in ways that justify our actions, that make us feel okay, instead of matching our lives to the word of God. When John says that if you love God but you hate your brother... Those two cannot go together. When he says that we are called, and Jesus says it many times, that we are to love one another. Years ago, nobody here, so they're all good. Years ago, I had a friend that that I I just said, I'm going to lean in here, but it seems like you and this person have broken relationship. And he said, oh, no, we're good. He says, I just avoid them. And as long as I avoid them, We're good, so I found the solution. And I would say he's interpreting loving one another and not hating by just going, I'll avoid. And I would say, that's not. That's not the interpretation. That's not what God is calling you to. So we may be talking about divorce, but as followers of Jesus, 
in all areas of our life? How do we interpret Scripture in ways that make us feel okay and justify our actions? Can we lay those aside and not let the, the things that take root in our heart blind us to what God has called us to because we lose all that he offers us when we do? There's stuff, if there's broken relationships, especially in marriage, this is easy to say. This is hard to do. The first thing I would encourage you to do is examine your heart. Easy words, we say it all the time. But is there stuff in there that has taken root? Anger, lust, but there's other stuff. Is there stuff? Usually it's connected to us. It's self. It's selfishness. Sin seems to be so embedded in selfishness. Satan from the beginning said, hey, why can't I be worshipped? I want some of that, right? God's trying to keep this from you. You deserve this. So look at the heart. Is there stuff in your heart that has taken root, that has taken up residency there? If you don't deal with that, as we've talked about, repent. If you don't surrender to God, you will never be able to restore and and have reconciliation in relationships because you're going to try to patch it, but you never deal with the, the true heart issue. I think Jesus is connecting these things. Well, this is not the only place that that Jesus talks about divorce and what we find is later on in Matthew 19 which we will get to probably in 2025 (laughs) he talks about it and the Pharisees want to have a conversation with him I think they heard him some and said hey do you hear what Jesus is saying like you Ben he's saying you committed adultery and, and you Seth you committed adultery, and you, I mean, I use names from people in the church. I meant Jewish names, okay. <laughs> but, but he, and they're like, what? So, Matthew 19, listen to what, what's going on. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, That word to test him, that word test in Greek can be translated test, but it can also be translated tempt. It's the same word used when Jesus goes into the wilderness and Satan tempts him. Okay, same exact word. So you get an understanding of what's going on here when when the Pharisees want to have conversation. This isn't a help us understand. Can Can we talk about this? We want to know what God really desires. This was tempting him because they knew this is a this is a volatile subject. There's a crowd here. We want you to say what you're gonna say about divorce right here. Because we want to fracture your following. Some Pharisees approached him to test him or tempt him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any ground? That was many of them held to that view. And what does Jesus do? I love this, I had never noticed this before, but 
He responds in the same way when Satan tempts him with the word of God. He says, haven't you read? He replied that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then the Pharisees asked, well, why then did Moses command us to give divorce papers and send her on her way? See, they're focused on this, as long as we do the paper thing, we're good. We have followed the law. We are, we are doing what we should. Why did Moses command? I love they go, command us to give a paper, right? A certificate. And listen how Jesus responds. He, didn't, he, he takes their Moses commanded it and he switches it right away. He says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And he comes right back to what he had said here in Matthew 5. This word, one flesh, this phrase, one flesh. This is the mystery of marriage, isn't it? That one plus one will equal one. That God somehow takes two and brings them together, and this is covenant language. That's why we call marriage a covenant. Whenever I perform a marriage, um, I always talk about, if, if they're believers, I always talk about the covenant of marriage. It's not a word that we, we use much today. We think of, oh, it's promises and stuff. It's way beyond promises. God makes a, key, a covenant with Abraham. He splits, he has Abraham slice animals in half. I can't imagine. We have mice in, in our house this past week and just getting them out of the traps. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, I want, you, I want you to take a heifer and cut it in half and lay it on the ground. Why is that, that? You go, that's disgusting. That's, it is. It is. And you lay it on the ground in a covenant so often. What they did was the two parties then would walk between these animals that had been split in half saying, we are so serious that if either of us break this, this is what should happen to us. And it should be. of God in all things it should be us but Christ we know took on that for us but in marriage in the marriage covenant that is what you're saying that the two will become one this word become one flesh I did a lot of studying like what does that mean and and some of the words I I found just didn't didn't make it strong enough they talked about gluing or bonding or I like the word welding, that, for me, that sounds a little, little stronger. But, but in my mind, this is what I picture. Kathy and I get married, and like we're gonna, they go, okay, get next to each other, we're going to weld you, okay? And, and we're welded together, except that it feels like, well, okay, it's, it's going to hurt some, but we could always just cut this free. I don't think that's what one flesh means. 
as I was thinking about this in wrestling, for me, this is a better image, conjoined twins. Two that are born together where their bodies are already merged together, right? That's two becoming one. And in some cases, they share only one organ. Some cases, it's one heart. Do you simply just separate them and go, oh, we'll just cut them and send? No, you can't. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. From Genesis, he's quoting Genesis. The two will become one flesh, and they are no longer two, but one flesh. There is no way to separate what God has joined together, and this is what's hard, this is what sticks in my throat, because I don't even want to say it, but what God has joined together, I can go, God, I, 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 this relationship, I don't know that you joined them together. But God says, they entered into this covenant. I am there. I am there. It really comes down to, you. do you trust God? Again, easy words to say. Do you trust God in the hard, hard, hard things? When God says, you have become one and you need to stay there. It's easy to go, but God, this isn't fair. God, I know, I know, God, you want my happiness This is where we need to have conversation. This is where we can't really just proclaim, but, but I'm speaking what I believe God says, and he says, no, the two have become one, and so I am asking you to let me do a work in you in the middle of this storm. Why I think this is so important is because there's something completely different about the relationship in marriage. And like the story I read at the beginning, it's, a, it's amazing. I think we all, if, if you enter into marriage, in the marriage covenant, you have put a target on you from Satan because he wants to divide and separate. And just like the story said, it's amazing the little things that will divide us in our marriages. That in friendships, you're like, yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, he says stuff and stuff like that. And then, you know, in our marriage, Kathy will say something, and I'm quick to go, what do you mean by that? Right? Uh, it, just little things. Oh, it's so cute. I love that when we got married. So annoying. Well, you do that all the time, right? It's those little things that he uses to separate and divide. We are under attack. This is a spiritual battle. We have to realize this. is a spiritual battle. And we can't fight it on our own. We fight it in the power of Jesus Christ, His Spirit living in us, because we will lose every time if we just try to do better. And that's why Jesus goes, it's your heart. Give me your heart. Trust me. Will you trust me? Even in the very, very difficult things. And I want to do a work in you. And this might feel like I'm chiseling with a sledgehammer but it's a work that I'm doing in you. 
We are called. Let me say this. Church, we are called to do this together. So often those that are in the middle or are, are, are healing from past wounds and stuff are isolated and, and, and end up trying to do this on their own. I, don't, I know we're not called to that. And yet I know it's hard for both those going through these kind of things and those trying to come alongside. It's awkward. It's hard. We fail. We hurt. And so often we go, I'm not doing that again. called to keep being the body of Christ. And I think that's done best in those groups that we just need to be a part of where we form those kind of trusting relationships where we can say, hey, I'm hurting. And today we're talking about divorce, but there's all kinds. Do you have that? We need that. And why is that so important? Because together as the body of Christ and as individuals, especially those that are married, we are, we are called to proclaim and put on display this relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Can we put that on display? He says, will you let me do that in your marriage? And so often, I know for me, marriage can become selfish and about me. It's taken way too many years for me to see that. I wish I could go back. Except I know who I am and I would do the same stupid stuff. So we move on in God's grace and in His power. We can't go back because He knows who we were, but He also knows who we are now and will be and He still loves us. Ephesians 5, Paul gives us a description of husband and wife, but I love the way he describes Christ and his bride, the church, how he's willing to sacrifice and die for her. Wash her in the word, purify her, make her holy for himself. We're supposed to put that on display to the world. And God says, will you let me have the roughness and the difficulties and the bitterness and anger and hurts will you let me have that to keep painting my picture because even sometimes we think it's already wrecked i can never put that on display and god says no no redemption is a beautiful story would you let me redeem it hard thing is you can only control yourself right let god work on your heart But if you're married, become Christ to your partner in whatever way you can. You don't get to change them. That can be frustrating, but Satan, I believe, takes our focus off of what God's doing in our hearts and says, let me fix you. God goes, let me fix you. Let me restore you. You can't do it on your own. One of the things that I find very difficult, and, I, and, and maybe you do too, is coming alongside and walking with people that are in the middle of broken relationships, wherever that is, and that can be all different kinds of broken relationships. 
Because what I know is they can easily say, you don't understand how hard it is. You don't understand how deep it is. You don't understand all that's going on in me. And, and I would have to say, you're right, I don't. But there's someone who does. And we say things like that, that God knows, God understands. And, and I know that's true, but sometimes it's hard to hear those things when you're in the middle of a storm. So I just want to end today reading from the book of Hosea because it describes this God and his relationship with his people, with us, who he is, his heart. And I hope that it helps us to, while, while I might not understand all your grief, you don't understand all my grief, but God understands all of it. And so we come together in the Word with the Holy Spirit to walk with each other and let God do a work in us together. Hosea is a, an interesting book. If you don't know about the book of Hosea, God asked his prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. I remember the first time I read that, I'm like, what? And she is unfaithful to him. You know, a good story would be like, and she changed her ways and they lived happily ever after, right? She is unfaithful to him over and over. And he ends up having to buy her back. This is crazy, God. And I remember a few years ago listening to the book audibly. And we got to the second chapter, and the second chapter, God is talking about punishment, punishment for his people, Israel. Now, the reason he asked Hosea to, to marry this prostitute, he said, Hosea, would you give me your life? Do you trust me? Because what I want to do is paint a picture to my people, Israel, of their unfaithfulness to me and my love for them. That's what God's asking us to do in our marriages now, to proclaim and, 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 and just project this beautiful picture of Christ in his church. And he said to Hosea, would you let me have your life for this purpose? And Hosea was willing to do it. I can't imagine that. We get to the second chapter of Hosea, and, and God is talking about um, his, his discipline to his people and, and in, ho in hopes that they would turn back to him. He's talking about, I use this punishment for the hope that you will turn away from your stuff. That's repentance, right? Turn away and turn towards me. And verse 14 begins this way. Therefore, I'm going to persuade her. This is Israel. Therefore, I'm going to persuade her, lead her to the wilderness. And as I'm hearing this, in my mind, I race ahead and I go, where I am going to punish you so severely for what you've done. That was my thinking. I, I mean, my, my head just had gone ahead. I'm going to persuade her and lead her out to the wilderness where nobody will see what I'm going to do. That was my thinking. And the next words shocked me. Shocked me so that I have never forgot this. Because then he says, therefore I'm going to persuade her, lead her to the wilderness 
and speak tenderly to her. handkerchief I knew this would be hard but there I will give her vineyards back to her and say and make the valley of Achor into a gateway of hope there she will respond as she did in the days of her youth as in the day she came out of the land of Egypt in that day this is the Lord's declaration you will call me my husband And no longer call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth. They will no longer be remembered by their names. On that day, I will make a covenant for them with the wild animals, the birds of the sky, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. I will shatter bow, sword, and weapon of war in the land, and I will enable the people to rest securely. I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, and love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness. And you will know the Lord. This is the God who knows. This is the God who has felt that broken relationship of people that he has poured into, has loved, and they keep running, keep running as prostitutes. And these are the words that he speaks gently to her. He knew who she was. He knew who she was going to be. But he says, I, I will come and do these things and I will make a covenant And you will call me my husband. I will call you my wife. This is a God that that loves us in this way. And we see it through Jesus Christ. We can only love because he first loved us. In In our homes, in our church, in our neighborhoods, God has poured his love into us so that we can love those around us. pray that we would all get a hold of that love and realize how much we are loved. And in that, let God surrender our hearts to God and let him do a work in us that changes everything together as God's people. Father, these words from Hosea stir such deep emotion in me because I know who I am. And there's so much of me that wants to say, but I won't be that anymore. But I know who I am and I know who I will be. And that's what Satan wants to say right now into our lives and into our ears and into our minds. Father, I pray against that. I pray the voice of your Holy Spirit would be so much louder than the lies of the evil one. 
that we would get a hold of who you are and how much you love us, even when we rebel. You discipline because you love. You call us back. And in Jesus Christ, you have wrapped us in his righteousness. You have forgiven us and redeemed us. And you call us your bride, made beautiful and holy because of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray we would walk in that light, not only today and this week, but that we would be people walking in that light as, as we have been made new. I pray for protection of a relationship. I pray for those struggling right now. I pray your Holy Spirit would do a work that only you can do, that is so far beyond anything we can do in our own strength. Father, help us to surrender and just obey and respond and trust you with all of that. I ask these things in Jesus' name.